And I just had to let you know, um, you guys heard, we wrapped up our Frozen series last week, and we're starting a new series this week. And part of the deal was for the kids, because they didn't get to be in here with us most of the time, we got to do Frozen outside Friday night. And let me tell you, it was wonderful. Because what happened was most of the guys did this. While the kids ran around. And the moms sat in the chairs. And it was wonderful. But I tell you, it's interesting when we switch into a new series and we have to change our brains going from frozen into uh, investing in the future forever. And when we talk about investing in forever, that seems kind of nebulous. It seems kind of hard to wrap our brains around that concept. But I shifted it for myself just a little bit so I could kind of get a grip on it. And when I shift it to investing in the future instead of the word forever, I instantly think of kids. I was uh, educated to be a teacher. I was in the classroom for several years. I have my own children. And so it's pretty natural to think the children, right, are our future. Everybody tells us that. We think, okay, you know, we need to train them, we need to prepare them, and then as they get older, we start thinking, how is our relationship with them because they get to pick our retirement home? <laughs> and it all matters, right? And so as I'm working through this, I realized that I learned a lot from Frozen in that series, and um, in case you can't tell, I have a little bit of congestion. I'm on the tail end of it now. But I, I realized that I got a superpower from that series. One night while I was um, blowing my nose, my son looked at me and said, Mommy, your nose is talking. <laughs> I thought, awesome. Let's keep going. So in all seriousness, investing. Investing means that we are putting something of value today into what we deem to be worthy tomorrow. And that's the Chris Bickett definition. If you want a formal one, feel free to look it up. But investing something that we consider worthy today into something even more worthy for the future. And so when we begin investing, it means we want something to be enhanced or improved. We want it to be better than it is right now. And if we want tomorrow to be better than today, we need to invest in our children. We need to invest in the future generations and most importantly, we need to invest in ourselves. Because when we're talking about investing in forever, it's more important than any 401k that we might have. It's more important than any college degree we might get. It's more important than where we work or where we retire. When we talk about investing in ourselves, it's not something that we naturally do for the most part. We've been trained that we need to invest in others. We've been trained that we do all that we can and whatever is left over can go to ourselves. How many of you chose to do something for yourself over a need of your child this weekend? Not very many, no hands, hardly. And I'm guessing if there were any that were like this, it's because you have older children that are fairly self-sufficient right? It's not something that we naturally do. 
So the question becomes, why would we start this series with invest in yourself? Because if we stop and think about it, there are people that invest in themselves. There's professional athletes who train and train and train, and they work their body, they manage what they eat, they continuously do things to improve themselves for whatever skill it is that they're involved in, right? If you're in a profession that requires continuous education, you have to invest in yourself. But most of the times, that's not quite what we want to do. If we were given the option of investing in ourselves to further our career or to spend some time camping or going to the lake or relaxing, we would want to choose relaxing for the most part. But the reason that we need to get past this idea is because of one very important point. And the point is simply this. You matter. We are intrinsically valued by God. And often we judge our worthiness based on where we are in the moment or what we've done in the past. Very seldom do we say, this is what my future can be and that is what I am worth. We say, I've messed up. I've done this. I've been there. I've, you know, I'm just, I'm not worthy enough to be invested in. When we look in the mirror, we don't look in the mirror and say, hey, okay, adults, we don't look in the mirror and go, hey, you are pretty awesome. I want to be you today. Let's go for it. My nine-year-old daughter, that's another story. Whole another story. I mean, we've gone down the lengths of like closing the mirrors and hanging things in front of them. She doesn't look at herself. But as adults, we get out of that. We get to the point where what we see in the mirror, we don't want to look at because we don't feel like it's enough. We don't feel like we're worthy. We don't feel like we are where we should be. We don't measure up to the human standards of perfection. But the Bible tells us something very important. And if you have your Bible, you can open it up. We're going to Ephesians. And it's in chapter 2, verse 10, where we're told this. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's workmanship. He crafted us to fit a unique purpose for each of us individually. How we think, how we process, what our emotions are, what our dreams and our hopes are, they're all unique to us individually. The problem comes when we decide to base our worth on our faults instead of what we were actually created to do. Sometimes it's like when I need to um, pound in a nail and I grab this. I can do it, but it's not going to be very effective because a screwdriver is meant to tighten screws, not hammer in nails, right? And if I want to fix my light bulb, this is not the most useful tool, (laughs) 
right? Something that needs a little bit of gentleness and care when we're taking care of it is not meant to be fixed with a hammer. They're created for unique purposes. And when we choose to use the wrong tool, it doesn't go as well, if at all. Often our perceived worth does not match what our actual God-given worth is. It's easier for us to believe the bad things. It's easier for us to um, look at the negativity. That's often why children will get to the point of thinking that nobody wants me if they're not given love and attention. It's often why if we're in an abusive situation, we don't leave It's often why if we're involved in some kind of addiction, we keep returning to it, and it's hard to walk away from it. The negativity feeds on itself, and it builds, and it builds, and it builds until we feel like, I did it, I can't stop. I did it, I can't stop. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, so I'm not going to try. The truth of the matter is it takes a little more effort when we're stuck in a cycle of negativity to get to the positive. But we have to stop and remember, you matter. It doesn't matter where you are in the present. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You matter right where you are today because you are God's workmanship. There's a real enemy out there, and a lot of times we don't like to say it, His name is the devil. Because we get these images in our mind that the media and movies have portrayed, you know, like the the pitchfork and the horns and all the tail, and we think, ugh, I mean, that's just so out there. But the truth of the matter is, there's an enemy out there who does anything and everything he can to get us away from God or to keep us from thinking about God. Because God is Good. When we consume through our inputs, whether it be what we watch or what we hear or what we think, how we act with other people, it directly impacts whether we think in a positive light or whether we think in a negative light. In the Bible, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 tells us this. A good man brings good things out of the goods stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The way that you invest in yourself, what you put in, matters. How many of you have ever decided to try an all-sugar-and-grease diet to lose weight? Seriously? None of you? Come on. How many of you have ever gone to watch an action flick and you came out of there supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? Anybody? It doesn't affect us like that, Right? It doesn't affect us like that. The Bible specifically tells us that what goes in and gets stored inside of us, meaning what we keep putting in, what we keep putting in, what we keep putting in, is what is in there. And eventually, 
That's what's going to come out. It's like with a glass of water, and you pour the water into it, and the water goes in and in and in and in and in. Eventually, when it gets full enough, it comes out, right? But whatever is in that glass is what will come out. So if you're pouring water into it, when it overflows, you should have water. Are you going to magically get Kool-Aid? No. It's not meant to work that way. So if we are constantly consuming negative thoughts or watching negative things, if we're constantly inputting negative ideas or harmful material into our minds and our bodies, eventually what comes out through our words and our actions and our emotions are going to reflect that. If you do the research, there's these things called um, wellness dimensions. You know, and for the longest time, I thought there was four, so I just went with that. And I thought, well, let me just look it up just to make sure. Well, there's anywhere from like six to eight now. You get your pick. And what am I talking about? Your emotions. Your physical health. Your emotional health. Your intellectual health. Your occupational health. Your financial health. And your spiritual health. We're created in such a way that when we get off in one of those dimensions, it begins affecting the other ones over time. And so if we get off in any of those, eventually we'll make a complete shift. So it's not possible for us to continue doing the negative input and expect something good to come out. So how do we know if what we're investing in, what we're putting in, is good or evil? And if you're getting hung up on that word evil, just simply make it the word harmful. It's the same thing. Evil, harmful, anything that tries to keep us separated from God. Where's the line that separates it? I can do this, and I'm still okay. I can do this, and I'm still okay. I can do this, and I'm still okay. I can do this. Am I still okay? I can do this. Am I okay? Where's that line? When we look at the media or celebrities or we look at our neighbors or our friends or our families to set our standard of what is okay is an ever-shifting standard. You can instantly draw to mind two different celebrities that you would say, yes, I would do what they do. They're involved in some great things. And, uh, not even going there with a 10-foot pole. So where is that standard? Where is that line? And what I'm here to tell you today is there is one. There is a standard. And it's called God's Word. The Bible. In John, verse 8... Chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. It says, Jesus said, If you hold my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So within the Bible, there's advice and there's wisdom for anything that we have a question about. The important designator here is if you hold true to my teaching. Then you will know the truth and be set free. 
There is a choice here. It is up to you if you decide to believe in the words of the Bible and Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, it says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is telling us this. He's laid that standard clearly in the line. It's not moving. The only way that we get to forever is by believing in Jesus Christ and accepting him as God's son. So now, if you're expecting me to go through all of the different ways that you can be healthy in all of those dimensions, you're going to be disappointed. Because physically, I thoroughly enjoy restaurants, and I like taking naps with my dogs. Not the best physical advice I can give you. (laughs) Mentally, I enjoy kids' shows with music and Survivor and the Food Network. And emotionally, I run like a roller coaster. I am up and down, and that is okay. Because the truth of the matter is, you know how to eat healthy. You know it's important to get your fruits and your veggies. You know that you need to exercise and practice stress relief and get to sleep on time and don't go to bed angry. You know those things. I don't need to tell you that. I don't need to spend time researching and giving you statistics. We know it. So we're going to look a little bit about how to grow spiritually. And if you're like me, spiritual growth when we're told we need to grow or develop, can either seem like the preschool class where it's like all you have to do is read your Bible and pray. Or it can seem like a graduate-level class where the words are huge and confusing and it doesn't make sense, right? You need to do the inductive Bible study, and after that you can exegete this, and then you can go, and you're like, what? Sometimes I think investing in spiritual growth is often what we make of it. Listen to this story. Mensa is an organization whose members have an IQ of 140 or higher. I'm not part of that group. (laughs) A few years ago, there was a Mensa convention in San Francisco, and several members lunched at the local cafe. And while dining, they discovered their salt shaker contained pepper and their pepper shaker was full of salt. Calamity. How could you swap the contents of the bottles without spilling and using only the implements at hand? Clearly this was a job for Mensa. So the group debated and presented ideas and finally came up with a brilliant solution that involved a napkin and a straw and an empty saucer. They were prepared. They called the waitress over to dazzle her with their solution. Ma'am, they said, we couldn't help but notice the Pepper shaker contains salt. And the salt, she says, oh, I'm so sorry. She unscrewed the caps of both bottles and switched the lids. Isn't that what spiritual growth can be like sometimes? When I tell you, you need to grow spiritually, you're like, man, I need a napkin and a straw and a saucer. And how am I going to, you know what, switch the lids. Switch the lids. It can be as easy or as complicated as we choose to make it. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. He wasn't doing graduate level. 
So let's look at some of the ways that you can invest in yourself spiritually. And if you've been a Christian for a while, take a moment just to open up your ears and to listen to what God may be whispering to you today. The first thing you can do is talk with God. Simply, just talk with God. The best way to get to know someone is to have a conversation with them. You can watch from afar how people interact. You can hear what the neighbor says about them. But the truth of the matter is, until you actually sit down and talk with them, you have no idea what that person is truly like, what truly makes them tick, how you can get along. Spend some time just talking with God because he's just a friend. And by the way, that's called prayer. Number two, you can read a how-to book. It's called the Bible. There's a wealth of information in here. The Bible is top seller. Take time to open the pages. And if you're one that doesn't like to open the pages of a book anymore, no, I'm kidding. If you don't like to open the pages of a book anymore, take out your phone. Go to your app store and download something called YouVersion. It will then proceed to put the Bible on your phone where you can take it out at your leisure. Pretend that you are listening to me and flip through it as you read. It'll even give you devotions and studies if you want to. It's simple. It literally takes a minute of your time and it's there with you all the time. And if you want, if you're that next step of technological, you can plug it into your car, pick the one that reads to you, hit go, and drive to your heart's content while somebody else reads you the Bible. Input. Number three, meet with friends. Not just get to know somebody, but actually meet with friends on a consistent and regular basis. There's something about hanging out with people of similar interests that is fulfilling, that is growing and nurturing. I mean, a soccer player is not going to go to band practice in order to improve their dribbling skills. Am I correct, coach? Send you guys to band practice? No, terrible. Terrible is what I'm told. Awful. The more you hang out with people of like interests, the more you can grow together, the more you can interact with each other, the more you understand and here's something even more important. The more you hang out with people on a consistent basis and develop that relationship, you get to know and be able to tell if they're having a good day or a bad day. I don't know about you, but I need those friends in my life that can look at me and they say, how are you today? And I say, I'm good. And they look at me and say, how are you today? And the tears will start to flow. We have to have that in our life. And it's available here through Northridge. You can get involved in a life group. They'll be starting up here again in the fall. You can do a study group. You can ask to meet one-on-one -on -one with a mentor, and we'll get you hooked up. Invest regularly in friendships. Number four, commit to weekly gatherings. I'm talking about our Sunday service. It's important for us to get together and to learn from each other. It's important to be inspired, and it's important to be challenged. It's important to look at things differently. Sunday morning is a safe place for that to happen. Everybody is welcomed here, 
Everybody is loved here. The truth of the matter is, and this may be earth-shattering to you, everybody here sins. And everybody here has a fault. And everybody here has messed up today at some point. We're here to be real, and we're here to grow together. And the purpose is for us to learn more about this person called Jesus Christ, how he interacts in our life, and the importance of then what we can do with that. Number five, be an active participant. When I was little, we used to have this little pink boat, and it would sit the four of us in my family, and my dad loved to water ski. And so he would water ski, and I can remember from the time I was little, because my dad was a larger man, we would have to all stand up, and my sister and I would have to sit up on the dashboard and hold on to the windshield behind us as my mom stood up so that the boat had enough power and pull to get going and pull him up out of the water. Eventually, he had to learn to drag for quite a while before the boat had enough power to get him up. Okay? I remember this, and I watched, and I would watch how he got up, and I would watch how he, you know, drug himself and balanced and eventually would stand up and then ski and cut the wake. And one day I thought, I want to do that. But the truth of the matter is, I couldn't do it until I got in the water. Because as much as I sat up there and watched him, that did not teach me how to ski. I had to put on the life jacket. I had to get in. I had to learn how to keep the sticky tips up. I had to learn how to hold on to the rope. And, and unlike our pastor, I learned to let go real early. <laughs> go back a few messages and you'll understand. But no, seriously, I had to do it. I had to experience the boat pulling force. I had to experience how to balance on the skis. I had to continue to learn how to maneuver as I went back and forth over the wake. And as I did that, and I got better, and I got better, eventually I moved to slalom skiing, you know, one ski. That changes the balance up. You know, doing this is quite a bit different than doing this. If you don't believe me, try it. No? You don't want to stand up and try it? I had to experience it. I had to be an active participant in it. So how do you do that spiritually? Get beyond just watching somebody else grow in their faith and saying, I would like that. Become an active participant yourself. Do something. You can be a part of the service opportunities that we have. Get involved. Help somebody else. It will benefit the recipient and it will benefit you. Trust me. Missions trips are never truly, ultimately, about helping the people you go to serve. Ultimately, God changes you in the process of helping somebody else. Spend some time coming to church. Spend some time getting involved in groups. Serve in a ministry at Northridge. There's plenty of areas that we have. If you're not actively involved on a Sunday morning, when you're comfortable, when you're ready, Get involved. Commit to one Sunday out of every four or eight. It's pretty rewarding. It has the chance to change you as you benefit somebody else. So why do you need to invest in yourself? 
Is it truly necessary or beneficial? Can't you just keep doing what you've been doing? Isn't it good enough? My answer would be yes. If you desire to stay exactly the way you are today. But if you desire something better, if you want the possibility of thinking of forever, you have to take the effort to invest. There's a quote from Henry Nouwen that describes where I think most of us are in our spiritual state. And it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual state, if you're questioning if there is a God or if you've believed for 40 years. He says this, One of the most arduous spiritual tasks is that of giving up control and allowing God to lead our lives. Giving up control is very difficult. It's the one thing that makes us feel stable. But it's a false stability. The only way that we can grow is to give up control and to let God lead our lives. The band's going to come up while we wrap up here. And I want you to think about the words that we sing. And by the way, it's not fair, just so you guys know, programming team, to sing songs that make me cry before I stand up to preach. Yeah, we'll work on that. We'll work on that. So if you desire any kind of positive change in your life, you need to take the next step. We were just at a leadership conference that was two solid days of input on leadership, of input on how to become better, of input of unbelievable quality. I mean, it was overwhelming. Literally, we would take a break, and I would have to step out and just be like, oh. But out of two full days of leaders talking to us about how to improve, here was my big takeaway. Take the next step. Take the next step. Because what happens is we get caught where we are. We get wrapped up in how we do things, and we think it's good enough. Or we get in that cycle of doing something we don't want to do or think or act, and we feel like, I can't break out of it, so I'll just keep doing it. It's not worth the effort of trying to change. And we're told, take the next step. That's all it is. The step, however small it may be, I didn't say fix it. I didn't say go from where you are to complete success. Now, take the next step. So my challenge for you this week is this. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, pick one of the things that we've talked about today. One 
and think about what your next step can be and simply do it. If you need to pray, simply pick a time and say, all right, God, here I am. If you need to connect into a group, take that next step and say, where can I plug in? Will you meet me for coffee? Or I'm having a hard time. I can't tell you how significant that is. Investing in yourself is the first step of investing in forever. Will you pray with me, please? Father, it's so easy for us to come to you and to ask and expect and to want solutions and quick fixes. It's so easy for me to say, I have control and I'm not letting go, but I want you to fill in the blank. So God, as we come before you this morning, I just pray that you would whisper into our hearts that one small step you want each of us to take for ourselves not for our image, not for what others think about us, not for what we think we should do, but for what you want us to do to be one step closer to you. I pray, Father, if there are things that are hurting inside of us, that you would reach in and provide just that sense of peace right now. If there are people that are hurting and need to connect, Father, and share, I pray that you would give them the courage to reach out and just say, hey, can we talk or can I have just five minutes of your time? Father, I pray that if we're in that good spot and it's smooth sailing right now, that you would remind us it's because of you and not what we are doing ourselves. Help all of us, Father, no matter where we are, to let go of the control and to take the next step to let you lead our lives. Thank you that you love us right where we are in this moment and we have infinite worth because you created us and crafted us. And if we look forward, you will show us things that you have put before us that you want us to do. Thank you, Father, for your son Jesus dying on the cross to cover our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.